Hey, what's going on, everybody? I am AJ, and I'm going to recap UFC 257, McGregor Poirier 2. Just going to go up and down from the first prelim of the night all the way to the main event. Just kind of give my thoughts and takeaways. Just want to get on and share this. I have a lot of free time on my hands. I have a lot of my bets that I want to place bets, uh, you know, if that makes sense, place, I should say, uh, for, for the future. So wanted to give some free content and also just kind of express my my fresh sort of thoughts on these fights, you know, in full disclosure, I did, I am going off memory here. That said, I've been blessed with a good memory. So, you know, for, from a few hours after the fights taking place yesterday, I still do remember uh, how exactly these fights, you know, played out in my head. And I have the uh, results in front of me for ESPN uh, to help me out. So hope you guys find this insightful. So let's just go from the bottom up. Like I said, Amir Albazi and Jalgis Zhumagulov. So I thought early on Zhumagulov was doing very well. He had the sharper hands, I think, earlier on, but Albazi made a great adjustment by, well, rather he he had more success with his grappling. Certainly in round three, took Zhumagulov's back, was able to win the most clear round of the fight. And in terms of round two, he was a bit more effective on the feet. The, the stats back that up as well. And Zhumagulov... Kind of like what we were saying beforehand, he's he's good and well-rounded everywhere, but he doesn't particularly do anything excellent, and he's fairly low output striking-wise. So in turn, that means his results are generally competitive unless if there's like some huge skill gap. So, you know, it's not all too surprising, you know, to see Albizi win. I mean, I, I did see some people bet him. You know, his, his betting line was very reasonable, I saw. He was fairly high-owned in DraftKings, so so kudos to everybody on Albizi. He was a uh, definitely a, a very reasonable play in hindsight. Uh, Personally, I did not take the shot, but kudos to anybody that did. Mavzar Ivlaev and Nick Lentz. Oh, and a common theme in this fight, because this fight remind, uh, reminds me of the theme, is it's just expect the unexpected. We had a lot of high favorites lose, and we also had, in this matchup specifically, a lot of heavy favorites, you know, be in very competitive fights. Um, so it was just an interesting theme to this card. And it's, um, you know, there, there's been a lot of cards like this in the past as well. This isn't the only card where we've seen many underdogs come through, but it's just uh, that that was my takeaway. That was my theme, you know, expect the unexpected in this fight kind of goes with that. You know, even though I did think that Evlev clearly won, I think he pretty clearly won rounds two and three. I think the split is, is interesting. I, I respectfully disagree with it. I think you could give Lentz round one based on, you know, his threats from the chokes, which was really deep. You know, it's crazy that Evlev was able to gut that out, but I guess it's not all that big of a surprise considering just the fight prior against Mike Grundy. He was in a very deep submission attempt as well, was able to scramble out of it. And, and Nick Lentz is one of the best uh, guillotines in the business. So, or, or did, I guess, because technically he retired after the fight, but uh, yeah, for, for minus 700, I mean, I thought Evelyev looked good. I think Lentz, Lentz is just a, a guy that is, is a tough test for, for really anybody. He's a tough guy to finish. He's been in there with the best of the best. You know, he's fought Charles Oliveira three times. He's fought, you know, the Chad Mendezes of the world. So he's definitely not an easy fight for anybody. And, and, and Lentz has made fights very competitive in the past where he is a, a big underdog. I remember when he was a big underdog to, to Will Brooks, and he actually not only made the fight competitive, but, but won by by finish there so Evlev, even though it's a, a split decision on paper i still thought he he had a, a good showing of himself overall 
outside of a couple deep submission attempts, he, he fairly clearly won the fight. He's a very talented prospect, and uh, I'm excited to see uh, what goes from here with his career. Khalil Rountree and Marcin Prashniao. So this was uh, one of the, the big favorites losing. Khalil Rountree was, was around minus 400 at the time when the odds closed, and Prashniao comes through. Prashniao needed this win. He, you know, you could argue that maybe he was going to leave the UFC after his last fight with Mike Rodriguez, but they kept him around for one more. And uh, good thing they did because he, he won this fight. I think that the, the scorecards are definitely fine here. You know, he definitely was the, the busier striker. Khalil slowed down in this fight. He's shown that tendency in the past as well. So I guess it's not all that big of a surprise. But the fact that he, you know, lost as a big favorite is pretty surprising. You know, Prashniao was able to weather the storm, eat some big shots. And, and make it the full way and be the more effective striker. So kudos to Prashnow. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty, you know, a mildly competitive fight, but, you know, pretty entertaining, I'd say. Sarah McMahon, um, I'll totally own this man. I bet McMahon here. You know, I thought she was doing reasonably well early on. She got a takedown. She took the back of, of Pena a couple times. I thought she clearly won round one, but round two was interesting. She definitely had more top control, but I – was interested to see if it did go to the scorecards, if the, the judges were going to kind of give Pena that round from her like ground and pound that she did from the bottom position. Cause Pena, even though McMahon was, was in top control, the vast majority of the round, she really didn't do a whole lot. So I was pretty interested to see how they were going to score that round. It kind of reminds me of Carlos Condit, Matt Brown, not too long ago where Brown had so much top control time, but he lost every single round on every judge's scorecards because Condit was just basically being more effective. He was doing, causing more damage, but it didn't matter because Pena won the fight via submission in round three. Uh, kudos to her. You know, she was able to get McMahon down. She was able to take her back and then get the choke. So um, again, I, I'll own it when I'm wrong completely. Um, I was, I was totally wrong here on, on, you know, not exactly how the fight played out. I did have a, a good read in terms of like McMahon was able to, to land some takedowns here, get some top control. Um, but just, you know, wrong in terms of the result. And that's okay. You know, we, you know, it's, it's very difficult to be right all the time, but uh, you know, it's a lesson learned for me. So uh, on to the next one, good win for Pena. Brad Tavares and Antonio Carlos Jr. actually had two bets on this card or on this fight. Rather I played Tavares straight and I played him at, at minus like one fifty six, which is hilarious because he became an underdog, you know, as the time fight came. And, uh, you know, I did double down on, on those sort of bets that for this Wednesday card, like Mike Davis, I doubled down on after his line moved the other way. Same thing with Lamar Akhmedov. I didn't feel – I didn't want to do that with Tavares because I just – I had enough risk on the card. I already had like 12 units, and I was like, eh, if the line moves that way, it moves that way. And, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that the action on Carlos Jr. was uh, was unwarranted or anything. Again, there was a lot of, there was a lot of sharp people on – on ACJ, basically where I was coming from with this bet, why I thought it was hilarious was because I thought that people would maybe see what I see when I researched this fight uh, a few weeks ago where, where Brad was at the line of the favorite to see that it's a good style matchup, I thought, for him on paper and and, and bet him up even more. But I, I suppose I do understand, you know, there, there was some, in, you know, some red flags on Brad, you know, coming off a knockout loss. He he's coming in on a big layoff here. So I totally get it. And that's why, you know, ultimately part of the reason why I initially scaled it down from two units and not more because of those red flags. But I just thought it was a good style matchup on 
uh, for him on paper. I talked about it on some other podcasts, but you know, I really think that Brad's got really strong takedown defense. And he's also just a very physical guy, so not easy to take down and control. And I just thought Brad had better cardio and he was the better striker, basically. So that's why I bet Brad. And I also bet the over two and a half rounds. I just didn't really see a finish materializing, <laughs> which is also funny because one almost did. And you could argue that maybe one would have if the, the referee didn't intervene from the groin strike in round two when, when Brad hurt ACJ. But I guess we'll never know. But, but ultimately, my logic there was, and again, if you want to – here a more in-depth breakdown as to why I made these bets. I they're, they're on my bet MMA.tips profile. I also uh, screenshotted the email that I sent to the, the mailing list subscribers on Twitter as well. So it's all transparent in there. But basically, I just I thought both guys were going to struggle to finish each other. And at minus 161, where I got the line, I just I didn't think Brad was going to knock ACJ out. ACJ's never been knocked out on the feet. Um, Brad just, he, he's a good striker, but he has historically shown to be not a huge power puncher. And even when Uriah Hall, who in my opinion is more threatening than Tavares was able to hurt ACJ, I thought ACJ recovered fine. So in terms of like a, a standing knockout for Tavares is the better striker. I didn't think it was likely. And then in terms of like Carlos Jr. Finishing Tavares on the feet, didn't think that was likely really at all, considering, um, you know, ACJ has zero knockdowns in the UFC and he doesn't have a single standing knockout win professionally. So Again, anything could happen in this sort of thing, but I, I just I thought that those sort of outcomes were low percentage, uh, lower percentage than those odds indicated, and that's why I took the shot. In terms of like the ground finish, Brad's never been submitted in his whole pro career, and he's actually fought good Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners and, like to say, good scrambler, strong takedown defense. So I thought it was like fairly low percentage that ACJ would finish him. And to kind of double down on that, you know, I personally think that Uriah Hall and, and Ian Heinish, they do have solid submission defense. But the fact that they were able to not get submitted against ACJ despite him taking their backs, it gave me confidence that Brad would would survive as well should the same opportunity happen because I think Brad's defensive grappling is a bit better than both of those guys. Um, but yeah, I think I think it was a fun fight, and I'm I'm happy to uh, see Brad back in the in the win column here because he's he is a really good fighter. Um, he's only lost to you know some guys that are very threatening strikers, you know Whitaker, Bosch, Adesanya, Edmund, so. Uh, he's definitely a very talented fighter. Armin Sarukian and Matt Favola. Yeah. I mean, if you play Trukian in DraftKings, you're probably really happy, right? <laughs> um, just take down after takedown. It was a fun fight. You know, it, it, and this was another card where there was a lot of fights that were bonus worthy. And this was one of them. You know, even though it was it was clear that Armin won, I just thought that the back and forth, the scrambles, um, the pace at which these guys were fighting, it was a fun fight. You know, it was it was not necessarily back and forth, but I just thought it was fun to see these guys just nonstop uh, action. Armin just kept taking Frivola down. Frivola kept scrambling very well. He did a good job of avoiding any sort of significant control time while being flat on his back, um, you know, especially early on. But uh, Tarukin is an excellent prospect. A lot of people are high on him, and I am as well. I mean, what's not to like about him, especially after this performance? I mean, Frivola is a, a solid wrestler, solid grappler. Um, so the fact that he was able to land 10 takedowns on Frivola and just the cardio, man, these guys that could go out there and just shoot nonstop takedowns over the course of 15 minutes. You know, we talked about Ricky Simone on Wednesday. It, it gives you a lot of confidence backing them in a fight. If, if that's the stand you're going to take, cause you know that they could go out there and just land takedown after takedown. You know that they're not going to slow down. And if they got the wrestling advantage, it's just a good matchup for them on paper. No other way about it. So um, obviously I didn't bet Armin. His odds were just absurd. I didn't bet him in the first iteration of the matchup against Hackpress either. Um, 
but who knows? Maybe they, they try and rebook that. And as far as Favola goes, look, I mean, I'm, I know that the guy lost, but I'm actually really happy that he actually got the fight because this guy has had a lot of bad luck with, with bout cancellations here. And this card was no different, but, but thankfully uh, the UFC was able to match him up with Tarukian um, because uh, Tarukian's opponent uh, fell out to uh, Hackcraft. So I, I was happy with, with the result of this fight, essentially. Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Hibas. Yeah, yeah, this was uh, this was an interesting one. Um, so I favored Rebus in the fight. I didn't bet her, but like I thought that she had a, a clear path with the grappling, and and that that showed in the first round. And um, you know, Marina is, and this is again, this is something that we were talking about before the fight. So um, she was the best striker that. Amanda had faced in the UFC. And I, I think that's honestly just an objective statement, to be honest with you. I mean, Marina Rodriguez is striking. I think she could strike with the best of them in this weight class, to be honest with you. She's very technical, very dangerous. She does great work in the clinch and she's got solid volume. And, you know, the, the knockout is, is interesting because um, like, like we say, she's dangerous, but, but Rebas was also knocked out one other time in her pro career against uh, Pollyanna Viana on the regional. So again, I don't think it's like a, a durability concern. She just kind of got caught with a, a big, uh, a, a big power puncher here, um, in, in Rodriguez with the, you know, the, the, the whole Muay Thai type game, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, man, because I, I think they both had bright futures, but I think this is a huge win for Rodriguez because this is like her first win that she's had against a, a fighter that had some grappling success uh, against her in the UFC. You know, she fought uh, Cynthia Calvillo. She fought Randa Marcos. Those are both draws. And then she fought Carla Esparza. That was, she, she definitely fought valiantly in those fights, but that was a, a split decision there. So this is a huge win for Rodriguez, a huge statement. Um, if she could really tighten up her takedown defense, I really do believe that she is like a top five talent in this weight class and I'm not the only one to say that. Everybody else that has uh, echoed the same sentiment, I, I'm totally with you. I really do believe that this she with her striking pedigree, she honestly is going to give a lot of people fits. So, and even for Hibas, I mean, look, this is just one. This is a setback here, but she's still very talented. She there, there's a reason why people are high on her, and and I'm still high on her too. Um, you know, I, I wrote up a, a prospects to watch article, prospects to keep an eye on. I actually included both of them in that article for the women's strawweight division. So I'm generally high on, on both of them. And, you know, I, I think after even after this fight, I'm still high on both of them. So a uh, very good win for Rodriguez there uh, to get a knockout. Andrew Sanchez and Mahmoud Muradov, two fights in a row where there's a, a TKO KO finish. Fight was mildly competitive, I'd say, but it was, you know, definitely – uh, in favor of Muradov, he was he was being more effective with his volume, his consistent variety. You know, he was working the the body, the leg. He's just a, a very very skilled striker. Is, is is Muradov, and we knew that coming into this fight, we knew that he could potentially give Sanchez fits if his takedown defense, uh, overall grappling defense, held up, and that's pretty much what happened. You know, he was doing very well there, and he caught Sanchez with uh, a shot memory serves. Behind the air, rocked him badly, just uh, and it was able to get a, a standing TKO. So, good win for Murdov. This was his first fight in about a year, so it'd be nice to see him uh, be a bit more active. But I totally understand. Um, this guy is a very exciting fighter, so potentially we could see him more frequently here in 2021. So, good one for Mahmoud Murdov. 
Jessica, I enjoying Calderwood. This was another fight that's, you know, kind of like bonus worthy. You know, this fight was very exciting, very back and forth. And even though a finish didn't happen, it was uh, just tremendous back and forth. There was, uh, you know, a bit of a uh, bit of animosity between the two coming into this fight. Uh, it was kind of tamed down a bit uh, up until this fight, but uh, you know, perhaps that's why they were, they were so aggressive early on and, and, and fought at a high pace all throughout. But uh, yeah, I think it was a good win for Calderwood here. She wanted to get back in the win column after a, an unfortunate loss against Jennifer Maya. Is she going to get title shot next? I don't know. If you're going to ask me, who do I think probably the UFC gives it to Andrade, or maybe who knows, maybe they do a, a fight with Andrade versus Calderwood again, uh, even though they, they already fought each other a few years ago. But I think more than likely the UFC is going to do Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica Andrade, and maybe they do Joanne Calderwood versus Laura Murphy. I think that those matchups make sense um, in some regard. So awesome fights, awesome win. Um on to the next fight with the main, uh, coming events. Yeah, Michael Chandler and Dan Hooker, I'll own this one too. You know, I I bet Hooker in this spot, and I thought he was doing well. You know, the fight was was going well for him in the early goings. He was standing on the outside. He was utilizing the the low calf kick, and, uh, you know, he was finding his range. And then then Chandler, being the, the powerful, explosive athlete that he is, was able to close that distance and land that big right hand that we know that he's got so much power in. And this is a great win for Chandler because, again, obviously his UFC debut comes in with a lot of hype, but he he's right in the thick of things for the the lightweight division in the UFC, right? And it's interesting, man. I, I really want to see who he gets matched up with next, potentially Poirier. I know Poirier said in the post-fight press, press conference that he's not interested in that fight, but Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje, I'm sure they'll figure something out. Maybe even Conor McGregor, who knows? Um but yeah, this is a huge statement for Chandler. I mean, even though I lost my bet, I'm very happy for the guy. Um, I've always liked him. So uh, that's a huge win, finishing a durable guy, a very durable guy like Dan Hooker. We didn't really get to see the wrestling dynamic play out. But, you know, he, he definitely, even though the, the fight was uh, only lasted about two and a half minutes, he overcame a bit of adversity. I mean, you know, he was, Hooker was attacking that leg. You know, he, the, the lateral movement of Hooker seemed to kind of frustrate Chandler a little bit, but he was able to, to fight through that and then, uh, find the big KO shot, close the distance, and then finish Hooker. Um, so, yeah, that's a huge statement for Michael Chandler. Uh, good on him. And then, of course, the main event, we had Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. I mean, it was this was a tremendous fight. I mean, this is, uh, again, continuing on with the, the theme that I said, you know, in, in the previous fight, it's no different. You know, expect the unexpected. Um, this was, uh, the, the first round was was very, very interesting. I thought that, you know, Poirier getting the takedown was, was smart. I wasn't sure. I didn't think I, I would lean that he wasn't going to have success with wrestling early on, but it was a pleasant surprise. If you're in his camp that he did, he was able to take down McGregor, didn't do a whole lot with it, but at least you give McGregor something else to think about by going for the takedown. Even when they stood right up, you know, get in the clinch, you know, th this sort of thing is, yeah, Poirier wasn't doing a whole lot of damage to McGregor, with the takedown in the clinch, but it gives Connor another thing to th more things to think about. And also fatigues them. You know, what we talked about beforehand, I, I personally favored Poirier's cardio as the fight went on. So those, those early grappling exchanges could, could tax the cardio of McGregor um, and, and make him less of a threat as the fight goes on. Because like we talked about before this fight, McGregor has not won a, a fight by stoppage that has gone past the second round in the UFC. So, 
again, anything could happen, but that's that's a stat that I, I think is very noteworthy, and it's because he has historically slowed. And even though the cardio wasn't the 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 culprit to the loss specifically, um, the the leg kicks were. I mean, Poirier had a lot of success attacking that that calf of of McGregor. He stands very heavy on that lead leg. Um, they both had good success with their boxing. I, it was beautiful boxing by both of them. And, uh, you know, Poirier had success countering as in McGregor. I thought they both looked sharp. And it, again, it's one of these fights. Somebody had to win, somebody had to lose. Well, you, you know, you could have a draw or no contest in there, but you know, more often than not, one of these, one of these guys is going to win and one of them is going to lose. And look, that's a, that's a tremendous win for Dustin Poirier. He gets, he gets, uh, this big win under his belt. And, uh, now you could talk about a trilogy between these two. I mean, uh, going out there and, and finishing Conor McGregor via strikes is something that has never been done professionally. Um, so that is a huge feather in Poirier's cap. And they're 1-1. I know Conor is 1-1 with Nate Diaz as well. But I think that that fight, either of those fights for Conor in the future make a lot of sense. I know that Poirier said he'd be interested in running a third fight with McGregor. I know Poirier said he'd also be interested in fighting Nate Diaz as well. So it, there's a few different options here for both guys. Uh, I know Conor said in this the post-fight press conference, he wants to go back. He wants to regroup, but I totally get it. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, the, right after the fact, you, you want to regroup and, 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 you know, not necessarily think about fighting right away. I could totally get that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Poirier is another fighter who was an underdog on this card. A big one uh, came through, and he looked tremendous. That's a huge statement by Dustin Poirier. So, Again, this is just, uh, you know, Connor, this is a, just a setback for him. I'm sure he'll come back a lot stronger. Uh, we saw him come back a lot stronger the, the second time against Diaz and then the follow-up fight against Alvarez after that first UFC loss to, to Nate Diaz. So I'm excited to see where, where both guys go from here, right? I mean, this is just uh, an exciting fight. There was no title on the line, but that just shows the draw that that this card was, that you could have a pay-per-view that, that features these guys on it, and uh, it, it still just sells a ton. That just shows uh, how compelling all these fighters are. I mean, we talk about this main event being awesome, but there was a lot of other tremendous fights, prospects. Obviously, the Coleman event was awesome as well. So overall, I thought it was just an excellent card. I'm really happy that the UFC put this on. I'm actually kind of, I'm actually kind of happy that we got another another break in here because uh, you know three cards in seven days. I want to kind of you know regroup myself. So uh, go back. See, see what what else there is and, and do some research in the meantime but uh you know don't feel stressed about it uh take take a bit of a break and uh, uh refuel and, and see what's next so thank you guys so much for tuning into this recap again my name is aj you could follow me on twitter at aj mma betting my website is www.ajmmabetting.com and all my bets are third-party tracked and verified at betmma.tips backslash anthony s364 you could also see my bets free totally for free and breakdowns on mmaoddsbreaker.com and uh thank you so much for listening and take care